Welcome back to the Why So Serious podcast. Uh, this is the very special Avengers of Justice What If storyline that uh, I'm going to be telling telling all of you here. My name is Mike. I'll be the host, and uh, I've had a really good time writing the first episode. Super excited. I've heard some pretty good feedback so far. Um, that that honestly makes me so excited. I'm, I've been I've had such a great time doing this and thinking about it and just playing with these interactions and potential characters that would normally never meet and it's been great and to know that there are a few other people out there who've been interested by the concept makes me very excited to continue so we're going to be doing the second episode right now um brief summary when we last talked we saw that emperor palpatine had sent kylo ren on a very special mission to further his life that mission brought Kylo Ren all over the galaxy where he met all kinds of powerful people, uh, new friends, new allies, potential new enemies. Uh, that story of the first episode ended on Earth with Palpatine coming and, and taking a dip in the Lazarus Pit and emerging with some scary new powers. Um, so that's awesome, right? I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot right off the bat there. And this episode, episode two... This is going to be called Fury's Big Week. Before we get into the actual episode itself, I just wanted to talk for a second on the, the Fury's Big Week topic, for those of you that don't know. It is actually an event that happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but was not really formally addressed in the movies. Uh, it was kind of addressed in the Marvel one-shots. Like, the you know, those were the... If you look in the bonus features of many of the Marvel movies, they often have these really short, short little, like, five, ten-minute films... Uh, these are the one-shots, and these uh, offered additional content, kind of what's going on behind the scenes in the Avengers that's leading up to them kind of coming together for the first time. In the in the MCU, Fury's big week was S.H.I.E.L.D. cuts the search for Captain America's ship that crashed down during World War II. Um, few, uh, they, they decided to stop this in favor of the Pegasus Project for experimentation on the Tesseract. Fury decided to run these in secret, and during this one big week, um, he learned that Tony Stark was dying, Bruce Banner had entered New York City, um, and there were some strange anomalies coming out of New Mexico. So obviously, if you've seen all the movies, you know that these are the events of uh, touching on Iron Man 2, the Incredible Hulk movie, and Thor, the first Thor movie, and you know, you kind of know what happened if you've seen the movies. So, I don't want to talk too much on the MCU, because <laughs> we do that enough. Uh, in the main show, but I decided to take the Fury's Big Week concept and implement it here with on a bigger scale, obviously. So <laughs> a lot happened during during the MCU version, even though it wasn't really addressed. You know, he sent he actually sent Natasha Romanoff to find Natasha Romanoff to find to track Hulk in New York. So obviously you didn't really see her in the Incredible Hulk movie, but in the lore she's there. Um, so I just want everyone to kind of know that little piece of trivia going in because there's going to be a lot of things that are happening in this second episode, a lot of introductions and and things are happening for the very first time. We're going to be kind of laying the skeleton for a lot of interactions and relationships for the rest of the story. So it's going to be a little bit all at once, but I think you're going to like it. And that being said, let's let's jump right into the the story. So this this episode opens up on planet Earth. Um, Fury's Big Week, here we go. Monday. So this story takes place over the week. We're going to start on Monday. It's Monday. At a top secret base, S.H.I.E.L.D., 
or the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the foremost authority in preventing global catastrophe. They are the United Nations go-to for any and all high-profile crimes. Ever since Tony Stark, a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist, went public as the Iron Man two years ago, crime organizations and select governments all around the world are attempting to replicate Stark's tech. See, Tony built a suit of armor with, the incredible, with incredible abilities, including flight, repulsor technology, and various weapons. But before Iron Man, he was the CEO of Stark Industries, which was the world's leading weapons manufacturer. When Tony, was dis- when Tony discovered members of his own board of directors were double-dealing double under the table with various terror organizations, giving them the very weapons his company created, he, don- he created and donned the suit of the Iron Man and took to ridding the world of his weapons forever, believing there were better ways to achieve world peace than simply forcing it through violence. Stark was kidnapped by terrorists, and about two and a half years ago, only months before outing himself as the Iron Man, during the attack, Shrapnel got stuck near Tony's heart, and he built a mini-arc reactor to prevent it from killing him. Little did he know it was the arc reactor that kind of led the way for the suit uh, to be powered. Um, and it's what gave Tony the ability to escape and begin his superhero career. While many organizations of crime, and even other nations around the world... I'm sorry. While many organizations of crime and even other nations around the world like North Korea and Iran are attempting to replicate the suit for their own militant use, none are aware that the key to success lies within the arc reactor tech and the ability to power the suit. Without this, they will and they continue to fail. The United States government also has become very interested in Tony's invention over the last two years and also wants access to Tony's equipment, blueprints, technology, schematics, and software. The President of the United States himself has made contact with the Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury, and asked if he could dispatch agents to Tony's house and take the suit away from him. Mr. President, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a global organization based out of America. We are not your personal militia. S.H.I.E.L.D. monitors potential threats. The second Stark becomes one for the world, we will be there. But until then, we have more important things to investigate. President hung up, angry at Nick. Fury stood at his console, sporting his traditional all-black uniform with a long trench coat and, of course, an eye patch from an undisclosed accident on a mission decades prior. Fury is perhaps the most well-connected, most well-informed, and dangerous man on the planet. Commanding and overseeing all of S.H.I.E.L.D., he has access to, his access to data is literally limitless, and he has hundreds of the most skilled global agents at his disposal. He pushes a button on his terminal and speaks. Hill, get me KS Squad. A woman replied back over intercom. Already on their way, sir. Shortly after, Fury's door opened and five individuals entered. Four men and one woman. Fury looked at these four. Fury looked at these five. (laughs) The most skilled field agents ever recruited now stood in front of him. They entered without speaking a word and stood waiting for new orders in a line. Fury paced back and forth for a bit, looked at them and said, Five of you are the best at your respective jobs, and we have need of your individual talents. S.H.I.E.L.D. has uncovered a wealth of data all pertaining to events happening over the next few days and I need all of you to investigate them. First, I have reasonable knowledge that Tony Stark is sick and dying. The the United States government is slowly catching on to this and is trying to capitalize on the situation. They want his tech, but I don't think this is the way to go. The arc reactor core is poisoning his blood and the U.S. government is trying to take all the tech. He's been drinking and acting reckless in what he thinks is his perceived death. I want him locked down and working on a way to reverse his fate before the government gets what they want. 
Colson, I'm putting you on this since you have worked with Stark before. Agent Phil Colson spoke. How do we even know something like this is possible to reverse? Fury replied, It's not our job to figure it out. It requires a better mind than anyone in this room, but it, he needs to be kept in check or he will lose everything. I was rather close with Howard, Tony's father, and I have with me a collection of film data, film and data that Howard told me to give to Tony when the time was right. Bring that and maybe it'll give him some inspiration. Nick gave Colson the pe data package and he stepped back. Fury continued the briefing. S.H.I.E.L.D. has been gathering intel on a man of high importance. This man is good at blending in and keeping out of sight. He doesn't stay anywhere for long, moves around frequently, usually getting after getting involved in some sort of unexplainable event. It is reported that after witnessing a trucker, truck at a bar, being abusive to the staff, he crashed the man's vehicle with his bare hands. Eyewitness reports claim he has stopped car crashes with only his body. There are other instances of otherwise extraordinary behavior. Even once pulling a bus that was about to drown full of children out of a uh, river. I have compiled all the extraordinary events here in this docket. Fury held it up and walked over to one of the other men and handed it to him. Trevor, this one's yours. The man replied with a very cool 10-4, boss. Facial recognitions identified this man as Clark Kent, a farmer from Kansas. His current job has him working on an oil rig in the Gulf. I want you to go there undercover and see what you can learn. This may seem trivial for a man of your talents, but we're concerned we're dealing with another gamma experiment. Only this time it went right. We need to know what we're dealing with. Trevor nodded and remained silent. He moved on. And speaking of gamma incidents going wrong, Romanov, a factory in Europe, was destroyed last night. CCTV picked up what looks like a large mass running through the factory, destroying everything, with a scream that could be heard from 50 miles away. He walked over to the woman, and she looked at him and said, Banner? Fury responded, looks that way. I need to know where he's going. I have all data on his last known position in this folder. I want you to take Barton with you. He handed her the folder. Finally, we might have uncovered the first successful replication of Stark Tech. Citizens in Gotham City report a flying monster with glowing red eyes attacking people at night. Eyewitness reports see him on rooftops, but these are rare. This one is really good at avoiding footage. I can't get anything on satellites or CCTV. Normally, I would have written this off as non-credible, but an entire police squadron was being held hostage and was released unharmed after all the assailants were mysteriously dispatched. Body cam footage was all mysteriously deleted, but all the officers reported seeing objects fall from the sky, taking out several of the gunmen, and then, after that, they described something similar to all the eyewitness accounts. A monster with glowing red eyes. No one got a good look, but this was all too odd for my liking. Nomad, this one is all you. I want you to go to Gotham, investigate what you can, and report back all your findings. Nick picked up and addressed the group as a, as a whole again. You have your orders. Go and report back. I'll be in touch with any updates that may arise. We're done here. The team disembarked. KS Squad, otherwise known by the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Kingslayer, consisted of numerous operatives. Five who were just now dispatched are some of Fury's most trusted crew. First, we have Agent Phil Coulson. Colson has been a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent for a very long time. He was the agent initially in charge of uncovering the truth behind Stark's capture and eventual rise as Iron Man two years ago. Since then, Fury keeps him on all cases that might be related to Stark and his technology, or any attempts at replicating it. If Tony's life wasn't in danger, it would be Colson going to Gotham, not Nomad. Second, 
Steve Trevor, a high-ranking Air Force officer turned S.H.I.E.L.D. agent by Nick Fury. It was Steve Trevor who only a few months ago discovered a World War II bomber in rural Greenland. Trevor was flying in a, Trevor was flying in a manned drone attempting to map the topography of the rural Greenland ice sheets for the Air Force to set up a research facility when he found something in the ice. A frozen World War II bomber presumably laying dormant for the last 70 years, and inside was a man, young looking, frozen, yet somehow still alive, with a shield next to him. When the Air Force notified Fury and he did some digging into the pilot that made the discovery, he recruited him. Now Trevor works for S.H.I.E.L.D. on the Kingslayer Squadron. As for the man, later discovered to be Steve Rogers, the World War II hero known as Captain America, he lays in a coma in a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. facility at an undisclosed location. Romanov and Barton usually worked as partners. Natasha Romanov, otherwise known by her codename Black Widow, was an ex-KGB enforcer and spy turned agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Clint, by Nick Fury and Clint Barton years ago. She has a dark and twisted past she hopes to redeem every single day she spends as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. As for Barton, her best friend codenamed Hawkeye for his skill with the bow and arrow, like Coulson has been with S.H.I.E.L.D. for many years. Kind of a loner and sticks to his element, high above the battlefield where he can see everything. He generally avoids everyone except for Romanov. Finally, Nomad. Nomad's kind of a ghost. He's been with S.H.I.E.L.D. for about a year now, and no one really knows anything about him. He was a young guy with a talent in computer hacking and general technology. Proficient in various forms of martial arts, uses technology as a weapon, frequently. Nomad is a loner like Hawkeye, but it feels different around him, almost colder. While Kingslayer Squadron is a team of sorts, the operatives representing Kingslayer almost never do the missions together. Over time, anyone having earned membership to the Kingslayer Squadron was put there because they have been identified as an individual with the potential to top an empire single-handedly. It's more so a title than it is a team. Teamwork doesn't fit in well in the business of espionage. Moving on to Tuesday. It's now Tuesday. Steve Trevor has arrived on the oil rig with the person of interest identified as Clark Kent on it. He got on a boat disembarking from Fort Lauderdale, Florida and took a 10-hour boat ride to the rig. Once on board, he began investigating. He found Kent but made no contact and just observed from a distance. He found Kent's quarters and searched them while Clark was on shift and nothing out of the ordinary was discovered. More research will need to be conducted and Trevor intends to keep a very watchful eye on Clark Kent. Nomad arrived in Gotham. Shortly after he arrived, there was an explosion at the known chemical plant named Aced Chemicals. Reports of the dark monster with red eyes near that area were prevalent. Nomad decides to have S.H.I.E.L.D. quarantine that zone and investigate. When Nomad entered the area, the explosion seemed to have been contained in the mixing room. Nomad interviewed some of the law enforcement in the area who said that a deal between two gangs seems to have went south. Forensics shows that there are acidic footprints coming from one of the vats of chemicals, and the rails on the catwalks above, above that vat appear to be damaged, indicating some sort of forced assault. Someone must have fallen in. No one has any word or evidence of the creature, and Nomad leaves for the night, returning to the local Gotham Shield base to re-review and all the gathered evidence. Coulson arrived at Tony Stark's Malibu mansion. At first, Tony was apprehensive about this lockdown. However, after being presented the inspiration left from his father, he committed to working on a way to prolong his life. He didn't want to give up just yet. After all, the world needs Iron Man. Just as Coulson arrives, though, Fury calls him, informing that a satellite crash in the deserts of New Mexico demand more of Coulson's attention than Stark did. 
As long as Stark received the package from Fury and has begun work, they felt that this was good enough and Coulson was to be relocated to New Mexico immediately for interception and investigation. Coulson left his squad of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents stationed with Tony at the mansion. Natasha and Barton began tracking Bruce Banner, a genius gamma scientist who, after a horrible accident in his lab, one of the experiments he now... I'm sorry. A genius gamma scientist who, after a horrible accident in his lab during one of his experiments now loses control and becomes an enormous green rage-fueled monster who, at this point, is deemed indestructible. Uh, Banner is not, appears to not be in any sort of control when this monster comes out. Natasha and Clint have tracked him through Europe and uncovered evidence that he may be heading to America through JFK Airport within the next few hours. Natasha and Clint also discovered that General Thunderbolt Ross of the United States military is hot on Banner's tail into New York. Fury instructed Nat and Barton to intercept Banner before the U.S. military attempts to capture him. Fury knows the U.S. military will fail, and Nick would rather have Banner as an ally rather than an enemy of state. Barton was ordered to relocate to New Mexico upon his arrival in the New York, into New York because uh, the satellite crash was off-putting massive energy readings and Fury wanted backup for a Coulson. Fury insisted that since their mission was strictly recon, they could be split up, and Widow could take it from there. Wednesday. Steve Trevor continues to monitor Clark Kent upon the oil derrick of, in the Gulf of Mexico. Nothing substantial to report. Nomad goes to the most dangerous area in all of Gotham in hopes of running into the mysterious individual. He dispatched numerous drones to monitor the rooftops for sightings of this creature. While there, Nomad witnessed all forms of, of the criminal underworld partaking. Nomad stops along one of the side streets and walks down one called Crime Alley. While down there, several shady thugs demand his wallet and attempt to mug Nomad, who refuses, and a fight ensues. Six against one. Nomad quickly knocks out the first two and gets tackled by two more. On the ground, the assailants attempt to beat on him. However, Nomad is able to throw them off and get to his feet. He threw a knife from his belt at one of their legs and then quickly pushing a button on the device mounted to his wrist emitted a horrible sonic noise that brings the remaining thugs to their knees as they clasp their ears. Suddenly... A blunt force hits Nomad in the side of the head, damaging his protective earpiece, prevented Nomad himself from being affected by this horrible sonic noise. Now feeling the full force, Nomad now too was on the ground, holding his ears. Out of his peripherals, he notices a commotion. Another man has joined the fight and was attacking the remaining thugs, knocking every single one of them unconscious. Nomad attempts to stand as the mysterious figure finishes knocking out the last one. Still holding his ears, Nomad stands, and the figure pulls out what looks like a gun and fires at a Nomad. It wasn't a gun, but a grapnel has attached itself to Nomad's combat vest. Confused, Nomad looks at the figure who reacts all too quickly by pushing a button on the handle of the grapnel, sending an intense electrical shock through the cable and right to Nomad. Shock was intense and fried everything on Nomad's belt, including the sonic emitter. Stunned and on the ground, the figure approached. Now that it was standing over him, Nomad got a good look at it for the first time. Dressed in all black, a man with long pointy ears and his eyes, which did indeed glow red, now shifted to white. It was no monster, and certainly not StarTech, but a man dressed like a monster. The man stood over Nomad. It's no coincidence we meet here tonight. You work for S.H.I.E.L.D. and they've sent you here for me. The man said. Nomad looked stunned and was at a loss for words. The figure then spoke again. A word of advice. This is my city. I suggest you leave and report back with your superior when you, what you've seen here today. Nomad stood. You seem to know a lot, he said. And you must know I can't do that. I can't just leave you like this. What I know is you came here looking to see if I replicated any Stark tech. I have no Stark tech and your investigation is over, Nomad, he said. Nomad responded. The fact that you know my, my call sign alone is enough for me to bring you in. 
The, the man in black responded again. We're done here. He fired his grapple up at the buildings above and began to rise up on, onto the night sky. Nomad pulled a tablet from his belt and attempted to reboot his systems to no success. He began frantically climbing a nearby fire escape in hopes of pursuing the strange man. When he reached the rooftop, he saw no one, except all of his drones now crashed and destroyed. Inside one was a metal object and appeared to be this, the object that struck the drone and brought it down. It was metal and sharp, and it was shaped like a bat for some reason. Nomad gathered and destroyed... Nomad gathered the destroyed drone parts along with the metal object and went back to the Gotham Shield HQ to do some further analysis. Coulson also had a busy day. Upon investigating the crashed satellite, and oddly enough, it was not a satellite but a hammer, they were expecting it to be like a meteor or some sort of space rock, but it wasn't either of those things. In fact, it was a hammer. When Coulson arrived, there were several locals trying to lift the hammer from the ground, but nothing would move it. Coulson quickly uh, ordered a team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to arrive on scene, and they built a temporary structure, which they were using as a base to study this strange satellite. It was emitting ridiculous energy readings, readings that no one at S.H.I.E.L.D. has ever seen before. Also curious, a man had actually attempted to steal the hammer late at night. He breached the base and knocked out several S.H.I.E.L.D. personnel before being hit by a tranquilizer arrow fired by Barton himself. Coulson and the agents occupying the base released the man shortly to a one Dr. Eric Selvig, a renowned scientist who came to claim him. Further investigation revealed Selvig's colleague, Jane Foster, hit the strange man with her car earlier in the day and he checked into the hospital under the name Donald Blake. This was the only record of this man that ever existed. Coulson knew that this something more was going on here, but he released uh, he released Donald Blake to Selvig and Foster anyway. He dispatched satellites and drones to monitor Blake and the uh, scientists over the next few days while the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. crew attempted to study the hammer. Security footage revealed that when Blake was moving throughout the facility, he made it all the way to the hammer and attempted to pull it out to no success. Then Blake put up no further fight as Barton fired his arrow. Nat reported in and said that Banner has landed in New York City, and after breaking into his private correspondence, uh, she has discovered that he is looking to try and get cured from having his alter ego appear every time he, his heart rate rises above a certain rate. Fury told her to let him attempt the cure. Fury knows Banner is a brilliant scientist. If he can remove the Hulk from himself, Fury can get him a full pardon, and he can work safely and freely as a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist. However, to accomplish this, Romanov will have to intercept and prevent them, uh, the prevent the United States military from interfering in Banner's meeting with a brave doctor who's agreed to make this attempt. Thursday. Steve Trevor has, so far, found nothing incriminating in his investigation on the worker known as Clark Kent. Further analysis will have to be conducted. As for Nomad, he continued to study the evidence in the Secure Shield Gotham safe house. He was on the computer which stored all the information of these encounters and evidence, all the data that's been compiled about this creature so far when suddenly the screen went black. Various letters began filling the screen. They didn't spell anything, but they arranged themselves in the shape of a bat. Then words did appear aligned to make the phrase, Leave Gotham. Nomad stood up and destroyed the computer when he turned around. The man was right behind him and Nomad looked shocked and he said, How did you get past security? Before the man even had a chance to answer, Nomad threw a punch, which was immediately caught by the man. I didn't come here to fight you. 
I came here to redirect you. Nomad looked confused and activated a button on his wrist which secretly dials Fury in. Nick could now hear the conversation. You here to turn yourself in? asked Nomad. No, I am not your enemy. On the contrary, I am here to help you. How can you help me? asked Nomad. Well, for starters, Clark Kent knows you're watching him. He can hear every call Steve makes to Nick and has already made plans to relocate off the rig. It's only a matter of time. And then, of course, there's this hammer. Mysteriously fell out of the sky over New Mexico, huh? You are having trouble studying its origin and power, aren't you? Nomad was visibly amazed at this point. You know what the hammer is? And how do you know Clark? What's going on? Don't confuse yourself. I know about Clark. I don't know Clark. And I don't know anything about the hammer, but I know someone who might. A woman named Diana Prince, currently a resident of Washington, D.C., expert in artifacts like that one. Why are you helping us? Yesterday you threatened me. Maybe I'm doing it so you'll leave my city. Or maybe I know what Fury's endgame is, and knowing what's out there in this world, maybe I support it. Take the advice or don't. But know if you come for me again, I won't hold back. Now leave my city at once. At this, Fury chimed in. That's enough. Return to base. We got more than we needed out of this mission. Suddenly, a bunch of devices on Nomad's belt began flashing and beeping. As Nomad turned and looked down, they stopped. He looked back and the man had just disappeared. Nomad had made plans to pack up and return to base. In New Mexico, Coulson and Barton are overwhelmed as an alien from another world lands and starts wreaking havoc on the small town, seemingly from out of nowhere. It's literally the size of a small building. A large metal monster, firing beams of destruction from its face, torching the town. S.H.I.E.L.D. sends in support, all of which were eliminated. Barton and Coulson prepare to retreat when Donald Blake attempts to take on the creature. Blake gets knocked aside almost immediately, and then suddenly, a couple minutes later, when all hope seemed lost, a bolt of lightning struck Donald Blake's crippled body. <laughs> He's healed, somehow. Not only that, but the hammer mysteriously left that base and flew right to Blake's hand. As he held the hammer in his hands, eyes lit with electricity and armor seemed to have appeared out of thin air, a majestic red cape donned from his back, the man used the hammer and his control of the lightning around him to effortlessly defeat this alien. When Blake landed, when Blake landed from the fight, Coulson had run up to him. Mr. Blake, Mr. Blake, we need to talk. There's a lot of things, uh, yelled Coulson as he ran. The man looked over. Enough, tiny man, and hear me. I am Thor, son of Odin. You are Phil, son of Cool. You may consider me an ally, but now I must go. My brother sent this beast here and must answer to all to the All-Father for what he has done. Then Thor held his hammer high and screamed, I'm Del open the Bifrost. And just like that, a beam of light came from the heavens, hit Thor, and he was gone. Coulson and Barton stood there, shocked, for several minutes. He had way more questions than answers, and when he called Fury to explain the situation, Fury told him that he and Barton should return to Washington, D.C., should relocate to Washington, D.C., and look for a woman named Diana Prince. Fury sent all the data on her, and they left. The remaining S.H.I.E.L.D. agents were told to stay on site and question Dr. Eric Selvig and Jane Foster, promising to return all the equipment that they had stolen from them earlier in the week as long as they cooperated. They didn't want to be enemies. They, S.H.I.E.L.D. was, in fact, the ally to the world, and, you know, through collaboration they could get what they needed. As for Natasha, she continued to follow Banner. 
His attempt to be cured occurs tomorrow and the U.S. military is closing in. She defends Banner's location, dispatching several military agents. General Ross was being relentless as he was sending troops. Colson and Barton are on their way to D.C., stopped in New York to assist. Fury eventually got Ross to pull out. Banner still does not know all of this is happening around him. Friday. It's Friday morning. Colson and Barton have arrived in Washington, D.C. The intel provided to them by Nick Fury places the woman, Diana Prince, at the Smithsonian Museum. She helps procure artifacts to be put on exhibit. Colson and Barton arrive at her office and she was sitting at her desk. Ms. Prince, sorry to bother you. My name is Phil Colson. I'm with S.H.I.E.L.D. I was wondering if you might be able to answer some questions for me and my colleague here. He gestures to Barton who says, Hi, I'm Clint. They both showed their badges. Diana looked up. I cannot say I have ever heard of S.H.I.E.L.D., but how can I help you? Colson pulled out a photo of the hammer from when it was at the site. I was wondering if there's anything you could tell me about this relic, Colson asked. Diana took the photo and her face fell. She appeared shocked. Colson and Barton both could tell she clearly knew something. Where did you get this? she asked. This hammer fell from the sky over New Mexico along with its wielder. Yesterday the hammer magically flew to the man and they both disappeared out of thin air. Anything you want to tell us about that? Diana appeared speechless Diana appeared speechless and said, No. I have never seen anything like this before and I'm I'm sorry, but I must go now. She got up and gathered her things. Thank you for your time, Mrs. Prin- Ms. Prince, Colson said. She left. Get a satellite on her, said Fury from the earpiece. She knows something and I want to know what it is. Colson made the arrangements and began to head back to Malibu to check on Tony Stark. Barton was to return to base. It's now Friday evening. Banner went to attempt to get cured. Seemingly, it worked. His heart rate could now elevate to numbers it never could before, and he did not turn into this monster. He thought it was his first ever chance at a normal life. Until General Thunderbolt Ross returned with his top agent, Emil Blonsky. Ross and his soldiers surrounded Banner outside of the facility where Banner was cured. I've been after you for years, Banner, Ross said. You could have served your country. You could have let us do our tests, figure out what makes you tick, and then we'd we'd have been at the end of it. You had to run, and now I've had no choice but to bring you in. Seeing as I can't do that without endangering the lives of all my squad and the civilians around me, I had to resort to other ways of bringing you down. It was clear that Ross was unaware Banner was seemingly cured. Ross looked at Blonsky and said, Go ahead, but push the fight to Harlem. We don't want to damage the nicer parts of the city. Blonsky injected himself with a variant of what the U.S. government labeled Super Soldier Serum. This, only once in history, has worked. Every other attempt has been horribly uh, unstable. But Ross thinks they might have finally found some success with this batch. As Blonsky ejected himself with, with, uh, with it, he, felt, he fell to his knees groaning. You don't deserve to have this kind of power banner. I have Blonsky now and we have no need for you, Ross said. Banner spoke for the first time. You don't understand. I can't become the Hulk anymore. You really expect me to believe that? All the people you've hurt and killed as that thing? All the property damaged? I don't care if you ever lose that ability. We're bringing you down. You don't deserve anything better. Blonsky's eyes, on the other hand, were turning yellow. He began to increase in size and mass. Romanov fired a pellet from her wrist and hit Blonsky, who, when it shocked him, just smiled. He didn't even pay any attention to Romanov. Eyes solely locked on Bruce Banner. Banner was confused at this mysterious woman that had little time to give it any thought. Banner was confused at the mysterious woman, but had little time to give it any thought. 
He seemingly had no ability to defend himself against this abomination. Romanov fired a grapnel at Banner and pulled him up to the rooftop. We need to get you out of here now, Dr. Banner. Who are you? asked Bruce. No time to explain. We need to leave. Follow me. They began running, Blonsky yelling from below. He cried, his cries getting louder and louder every time. Romanov and Banner were building were building hopping and she got on comms. Fury, we go, we're going to need an evac immediately. We have a code green in Manhattan. Are you telling me they got Banner? Fury asked. No. Worse. General Ross seems to have replicated the super soldier serum to some capacity. He gave it to one of his men. We didn't stick around long enough to see how good it was, but judging by the sounds I'm hearing around me, it's not good. I have Banner and we are, in, we are uh, running away. We need to get out of here now. Copy that. I'm working on getting something to you. You better send a team to deal with the super soldier. I'll see what I can do. Fury said. They continued running when Blonsky landed right in front of them from out of the sky. He jumped from somewhere far behind. He was enormous. Must have been at least 12 feet tall. Bigger than the Hulk for sure. And looked similar as well. Except for the spikes going up and down his back and the enormous ears and large claws. What have you done? muttered Banner. Widow tried to immobilize him with everything she had, and he was extremely unaffected. He laughed. I'm not here for you, girl. Back away now so I may complete my mission. He literally flicked her, and she flew to the side, almost falling off the roof entirely. This is the end of the Hulk. And he punched Banner as hard as he could. Banner went flying. Must have been miles he flew. He landed in Harlem, just as Blansky was ordered. Blansky pursued and found Banner's body covered in blood. Abomination raised both of his fists and began attempting to pound Banner. Banner was somehow surviving the blows, but at a certain he was becoming way more bloody and messy and seemingly looked like the end for him. I thought this was going to be easy. I expected you to put up a fight. This wasn't so bad. Blonsky landed one final blow, holding his fists over the body of Bruce Banner. He began to laugh when suddenly Blonsky felt some resistance. Looking confused, he was suddenly thrown back, and an enormous green-raged monster stood where he would, where Abomination did seconds prior. It was the Hulk. And they began to fight. It was a devastating battle. Widow got up and looked toward the destruction. She couldn't see them, but she knew from the screams of the two beasts what was going on. She dialed back Fury. Fury! Hulk and the Abomination have engaged. This could level the city. We need help now. But no answer. Elsewhere, on the oil rig, Steve Trevor was sitting in the cafeteria, watching Clark eat from a distance, when Fury doubted. Trevor, we have a situation. We have a code black in Manhattan. Code black? Trevor, Trevor questioned. Yes, we need to get everyone to come in for this. The entire city could fall. Okay, but what do you want me to do? I'm hours away, and getting off this rig is it's going to be difficult. No answer. Fury! Fury, I need orders! Trevor insisted, but still nothing. Trevor looked up and felt eyes on him. Clark was watching Trevor now, instantly from across the room. Then he stood up and left. Trevor began to follow him, down the halls of the rig and outside, when he, but when he got outside, Clark seemingly vanished. Trevor searched the whole rig and couldn't find him. Tony Stark was watching the news of the footage from his home, and Coulson was behind him. Stark got up. What are you doing, Mr. Stark? What do you mean, what am I doing? Aren't you seeing this? Mr. Stark, you haven't finished the replacement for the mini-core of the arc reactor. If you suit up again, it could kill you. I'm Iron Man. That's a risk I have to take. I'm sorry, Mr. Stark. Coulson plugged in his ears and opened a device temporarily paralyzing Tony. 
but the world needs Iron Man alive. Back in Manhattan, the fight raged on, and entire city blocks were in ruin. Much of North Manhattan was in danger. Widow was attempting to evacuate as much of Harlem as she could. Hulk and Abomination were locked in combat. Suddenly, a sonic boom could be heard from above, and out of the sky landed a man. He landed with such force it made a crater. Hulk and Abomination paused fighting for a moment and looked at the man with intent, eyes full of rage. Abomination was the first to make a move. He screamed and lunged at the man. You will not take my prize from me. He threw a punch and the man caught it. This shocked both Abomination and Hulk. The man lifted his other fist and struck Abomination right in the face, sending him, sending half his body down into the ground. Widow was watching from above. The man was in work clothes. Dirty and, and rugged. He had a beard and black hair. Very buff. And I think she realized that it was at this moment she realized it was Clark Kent from the oil rig. Abomination was struggling to free himself from the pavement, but when he did break free, he went for the man, who grabbed him once again and threw him into the air with great force. The man then went for the Hulk. He grabbed the Hulk, who began to struggle. Widow was pointing a device at Clark. Clark then took off. He could fly! This surprised Romanoff. He caught Abomination as well and flew all the way across the country to the Moab Desert, holding both of them in tow. He threw them to the ground of the desert. If we're going to do this, no one else is getting hurt, he said. Back in New York, Fury came in on Widow's comms. Did you get it? he asked. Yes, sir. Facial recognition indeed confirms it is Clark Kent. I told you I would send backup. You planned for this? asked Romanoff. In a manner of speaking, Fury responded. Back in the desert, the fight continued. Clark was strong, but Abomination was giving it his all. He attacked... Uh, Clark and Hulk joined in surprisingly both of them attacked Clark this time Clark was having a bit more time holding his own they both struck simultaneously and, and Kent flew back maybe three miles and landed on the cold desert floor Hulk and Abomination then began to fight each other again almost 30 minutes of brutal, brutal violence occurred before Hulk was able to grab one of the spikes from Abomination's back and break it this caused Abomination some pain as Abomination screamed, Hulk managed to stab him in the chest, knocking Abomination off and rendering him unconscious. He transformed back into Blonsky and was covered in blood. Hulk prepared to deliver a final blow when a massive rock struck him from the side. He looked and it was Clark again. His clothes were tattered, but he was otherwise okay. We aren't done yet, Clark said. Hulk and, the, and Clark began to go at each other when suddenly spotlights appeared on them both. Helicopters filled the sky. Two with sonic devices aimed at the Hulk caused him to flee the scene. The copters then flew over Clark. Mr. Kent! I'm wondering if I might have a word, a voice yelled over the loud uh, sound of the propellers. Clark was shocked and he held his hands, signaling that it was okay. A ladder fell from the copter and Fury stepped out and approached him. So what happens now? You're going to take me in, run some tests, arrest me, the man asked. No, relax. You're not in any kind of trouble. My name is Nick Fury, and all I want to do is talk. He held out his hand to shake, and Clark shook it back with some hesitation. Meanwhile, Widow was pursuing Banner, and eventually found a destro uh, destroyed restaurant. It closed hours earlier, so no one inside was hurt. No one was inside to be hurt. Banner's human body laid in the crater, and he awoke and was shocked to see her. You again! Who are you, and what do you want? Banner asked. I want to make you a free man, Widow said. The two spoke. Widow explained that S.H.I.E.L.D. was an entity outside the jurisdiction of the U.S. government. Even though they were U.S. based, 
the U.S. didn't really have control over S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. was interested in Banner for his abilities with science only. She offered him his own lab on a S.H.I.E.L.D. base. He could be semi-free, having a home, and not have to worry about the Hulk. No tests, no bluffs. Guaranteed. Banner, after some convincing, accepted to it, agreed to at least come check out the deal. Nomad and Barton returned to base and met Romanoff and Banner there. Some brief introductions and then Romanoff set up Banner in the lab, told him where he would be living. This made Banner feel happy for the first time in a while and he accepted the agreement. Semi-free life was better than on the run all over the world being hunted by various uh, government organizations. Fury returned as well and called the three back to his office. What do you got for me? We have all stealth drones and satellites on Diana Prince right now. She left New York. Uh, she left New York City and has a ticket for Greece and will arrive by tomorrow morning. We will have more tech ready to pursue upon her arrival, said Barton first. Fury nodded and looked at Romanoff. Banner accepted your offer. He's here in the base. I showed him to his lab and told him you may be paying him a little visit later. Fury pushed a, pushed a button. Coulson, status report. Well, Stark was pissed I immobilized him, but he finished the element. He has a new core and now it appears to have no detrimental effects. Good work, everyone. He turned the TV to the news channel. He then turned on the TV to the news channel. Video footage of the Hulk abomination and Clark was on the screen and a reporter was speaking. They caught her in the middle of her sentence, calling him the Superman. As he single-handedly took these monsters out of our city, we here at Channel... Fury muted it. Lots of exposure today, but that was unavoidable. Ken said he prefers a quiet life, but in apocalyptic situations, S.H.I.E.L.D. can call on him. I'll take that as a win any day. Blonsky's body was recovered by our people. He's alive, but barely. He's in a special off-the-book S.H.I.E.L.D. facility being kept in permanent coma until we figure out what we're dealing with. As for General Ross, the U.S. government and military denied any involvement. Ross is, for now, untouchable. But we're going to need to deal with him soon. Chaos Squad, you did well. Go enjoy your weekend. Before they could leave, the intercom rang again. Not so fast, Director Fury. Fury asked, Hill, what is it? She responded, One of the biggest energy readings ever recorded just popped up in Nanda Parbat. Whatever is causing it was so powerful, our space satellites picked it up visually. Fury sighed and looked at his agents. I want eyes on everything. And that concludes episode two of the Agents... I mean, Avengers of Justice. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the second episode. I know there was a lot of moving pieces and there was a lot going on there. This episode was a bit longer than I kind of want them to be. I'm trying to keep them around 30 minutes. But there was a lot going on and we're kind of starting to get focused on our linear storyline that's going to be kind of forming in the next few episodes. So I hope you liked it. Reach out to me on Twitter or reach out to the show, ask us questions. I'm sure we'll be talking about this to some capacity on the main show itself. Um, I'm really excited to hear Brandon and Devin's opinions of it. I'm really excited to hear some of our play cousins' opinion on it, Charmaine and Stephanie and everybody, Old Man Wade. So um, keep, keep sticking with the story. I hope everyone's liking it, and thank you very much.